war in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. J. Perry Paving. Folks, you can depend on J. Perry Paving. They provide high-quality, fair pricing, exceptional service, over 20 years' experience, specializing in commercial paving, residential paving, seal coating patios, and much more. Call them today for a free quote, 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving. They are tremendous. They also, how about this, once a month, they provide a free paved driveway to a veteran. And remember, whether it's a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed, call J. Perry Paving for a free quote. It makes a huge difference in your property, in your home, in your driveway or patio. 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving. 401-732-1730. You can also find them on Facebook. They're terrific. Hey, get that driveway paved. Call and book an appointment now, 401-732-1730 for J. Perry Paving. You're listening to the John DePietro Show, folks. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. It's Wednesday. It is 420, Big Cannabis Day. And, folks, you want to talk about great plants. How about PR Landscape Materials and Garden Center? Stop it and see Rhode Island's number one garden center, open for the season beautiful selection pansies pansy flats pansy bags hangers and bowls assorted colors they have tulips hyacinthias daffodils hydrangeas the colors are incredible blue white and pink pr landscape materials and garden center take a ride right off of route 4 3688 quaker lane in north kingstown you're gonna have a great season steve and debbie and junior and byron folks locally owned family run service is tremendous they also have many landscape materials screen loom black brown hemlock mulch crushed stone look for them on facebook they're open seven days a week it's rhode island's number one garden center pr landscape materials in garden center well i want to go to this uh, nbc 10 i team report and this is an example where the mckee administration this is outrageous uh there's no reason for it think of in your home or your business you have to live inside of a budget and the fact that the aci are paying these correctional officers and they're on track for over 30 million this year that is completely outrageous this is the head of the aci governor mckee need to be held accountable it's taxpayer money this is not going 1 million in overtime 30 million in overtime that's a racket that's abuse they can come up with all these different excuses but let's hear this is listen to these numbers this is the uh, nbc 10 i team report on this complete incompetence and abuse of overtime at the aci bills at the big house some correctional officers at rhode island's prison system well they're earning big cash that's right but their union doesn't like that the guards are routinely being forced to stay behind the aci's walls now, even be one thing i just want to touch on I want you to keep in mind they're making some of them are making over two hundred thousand in overtime over two hundred thousand in overtime it's complete absolute rampant abuse but governor mckee and the head of the aci is allowing it on their regular shifts 
The 19's Brian Crandall is digging deeper into the costs and the reasons. He joins us live now with what he's uncovered. Brian? Well, Dan and Barbara, both the union and the head of the Department of Corrections point to staffing shortages they claim are caused by a backlash against law enforcement in recent years. And an even bigger problem could be on the horizon as hundreds of officers could be about to retire. Behind the razor wire and the walls is another workplace that is suffering from a lack of help. We are definitely short-staffed, and uh, we have some concerns that nobody's paying attention. The ACI is about 80 correctional officers short, and because of that, more are being forced to work added overtime shifts, told to stay even after their eight hours is done. Union boss Richard Ferruccio says it happened 4,000 times last year. Yeah, in my 38 years, this is the worst I've seen. I mean, some of it was COVID-driven. A lot of it's driven because we're just short-staffed. Forced overtime shifts are not new and are a known part of taking the job. But there's a difference getting frozen in for emergency situation versus day-to-day -day operations, and that's what's happening right now. It's a morale issue. It's a, it's a, it's a family issue. You go to work on a Saturday, expect them to be able to come home Saturday night to your daughter's birthday, and you get frozen in. Usually the spouse isn't too happy that you're not there for it. We have some correctional officers that have daycare issues. I really commend them for Department of Corrections Director Patricia Coyne-Fig. It's not something we like to do, and, and I know it's a real burden on the staff. She should be terminated immediately. Patricia Coyne-Fig, I don't know that much about her. It wasn't like this under AT Wall. Um, Rhode Island Department of Corrections Director, she should be terminated immediately. This is insanity. Uh, correctional officers, there's no reason they should. If they're 80 short, they could have a class uh, very quickly. Listen, th this is ridiculous. The police are having academies. There are plenty of people that are out of work. For this type of money, th this is not what this is. This is all spin. This woman should be terminated immediately. Try to have a life outside of work. But the reality is it's a prison, and I, I can't just close the doors and tell everyone we'll be back in the morning. Behave. In the first nine months of the current fiscal year, the ACI has racked up more than $23 million oh in overtime God. pay. That's on pace to top $30 million for the third year in a row. The two years before the pandemic saw slightly smaller overtime payouts. In recent years, correctional officers have popped up on the list of the state's highest paid employees. Officers regularly make more in overtime than in regular salary. This fiscal year, some have already pulled in more than 100000 in overtime alone. One officer closing in on $200,000 in overtime with three months left to go. I almost feel like some people get offended by the fact that a correctional officer is making that much money. And I don't, because they've earned that money. They came to work. They worked inside the prison. That's, not, to, to be able to that's not what the pay is. And for her to even try to conflate it that way, the job is supposed to pay this amount of money. There's, there's nowhere in the budget does this make sense, that the fact that they're making 75000 in salary and then 200000 in overtime. It is incompetence on her part. There, there is, um, in, in, 20, in 2018, Governor Raimondo's uh, election year, she allowed this to go on because the union's powerful and then they get the endorsement. And now McKee is allowing the same thing. But to try to say this is not resenting that people have these jobs. Obviously, someone needs to do this job. The question is how much. Folks, this comes down to do you need a smoke detector in your home? The answer is yes. Actually, now it's by, by law. Should a smoke detector cost $5,000? No. You go to whatever, Lowe's, Home Depot, some store like that. You can order them online. But it's not a matter. They're trying to say no one is saying that you don't need correctional officers. Of course you do. 
No one is saying, of course, they need to be compensated, but there's something wrong if they're making more than triple in overtime. That that is ridiculous. That is a complete waste of money, and this woman should be terminated. The um, up to wages, um, up to working conditions, improve some of these things so that we can attract and, and retain more people. Because if they don't. You know, they're going to continue to pay the overtime. But Coin Fig does not think the staff shortages are all about the money. This is hard work, and it's shift work. And when you get hired, you are going to have Tuesdays and Wednesdays off. You're going to work third shift. You're probably going to be ordered over a lot. Um, and you're not really going to see a weekend for a while. And not a lot of people are interested in that. Um, and it's a hard time anyway for law enforcement. Right now, the public sentiment about law enforcement has has driven recruitment numbers down nationwide and the situation only looks to get worse about 300 correctional officers who were hired during an expansion 30 years ago will hit retirement age in the next few years what we're saying is that there's a problem coming a major problem coming it's here already what is going to happen if, if this trend continues it, it keeps me up at night it literally keeps me up at night all right first of all this business of it's tough in law enforcement that's one thing that's police on the street these are correctional officers i'm not saying that they're not a member of that but it's night and day the requirements are not the same uh the amount of paperwork that's involved just the job that entails what this is is a racket those that are making that kind of money do you really think that they want more people to come in and then they'll have more of a workforce so then they don't make the overtime i have no idea how governor mckee is keeping this person on in the job this is ridiculous then this is this is abuse this is not going on in massachusetts it's not going on in connecticut as a result of this the cost of uh an, a cost of an inmate is substantially higher in rhode island than it is even just walpole mass which is right down you know you go north on 95 the cost of a prisoner in walpole is somewhere under 70,000 60,000 the cost of a prisoner I believe in maximum security at the ACI, same prisoner, by the way, same guidelines, um, is, is over 100,000 more. It's complete abuse. If, if that woman, if this Patricia Coyne, if she can't come up with a solution, then they need to replace her. There's something going on. There's some element of corruption. I don't believe what they're saying. This business, it's impossible to find anyone. You can't find anyone. I, I don't believe that. I don't think they're trying. And the staffing levels they're at right now enable and allow these people to make the kind of money that they're making. Folks, this portion of the John DePietro Show on this sunny Wednesday is brought to you by Ron's Pastry Gourmet. Make it a great day at Ron's Pastry Gourmet. They're open right now, 170 Royal Little Drive in Providence. Stop in. Everything is baked fresh. Delicious calzones, chocolate frosted donuts, cupcakes, uh, delicious spinach pies, old-fashioned pizza strips, ron's pastry gourmet stop it and see them today they're open right now tuesday through saturday seven in the morning till two o'clock in the afternoon it's ron's pastry gourmet you're listening to the john DePietro show propane plus for heating and cooling call propane plus today in massachusetts 508-252-3359 in rhode island propane plus number 401 885-4209 it's the johnson family it's propane plus the leading full service provider of propane to rhode island and southeastern mass not only can they install your tank and schedule propane deliveries but they can service your entire heating 
cooling system and install any propane or natural gas appliances. Locations in East Greenwich and also in Rehoboth. Remember, Propane Plus is energy for everyone. It's affordable, sustainable, equitable, good for the environment, and also now it's renewable. Online at propaneplus.com, Propane Plus, heating and cooling. In Massachusetts, call the Rehoboth office, 508-252-3359, and in Rhode Island, 401 401- 885-4209. You can depend on Propane Plus. You're listening to the John DePietro Show, folks. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Now, as you know, we've obviously been discussing everything uh, that's happening at the border, but more importantly, that's about to seemingly happen at the border. Joining us right now from our friends at FEAR, and that is Research Director Spencer Raleigh. Spencer, it is, um, it's actually daunting to think of what could happen starting in late may and for the summer as the biden administration seems to be pivoting to just a complete open border yeah it really is i mean we're looking right now we just saw the uh the apprehension numbers for march and it was over two hundred and twenty thousand, which is very close to the highest that we've ever seen in this country it was only surpassed by a little bit in early 2000 now of those, a little over 100,000 were removed uh, under Title 42, and that's kind of been the norm. About half have been removed by Title 42 over the last couple of years, but that is ending in May. So what we're about to see is most of those individuals that are being removed from Title 42 are going to be released into the country, and that's something at this point Border Patrol will not be able to handle. They'll just have to release in individuals in the country not knowing where they're going uh not being able to give them notices to appear it, it's going to be it's going to be a major problem and let's uh, let's just back up and explain to people it was it was president trump that really ended the as they call it the catch and release uh and th- this happens where you know maybe they're they're brought in uh they never return to for their for the hearing uh the remain in mexico seemingly far more effective in the Biden administration. You even have Democrats, Spencer Riley, that are willing to step up and say, wait a minute, we, we have to come up with another plan instead of just ending Title 42. Right, right. Yeah, because I think it's very important to realize that what the Biden administration has done is they've not just unrolled everything that Trump did to get control of the southern border. They're going they're going much further. You know, we're seeing these encounters, these apprehensions uh, reach record numbers. We're seeing ICE being handcuffed. They're they're essentially not allowed to apprehend and deport the vast majority of illegal aliens. So when you combine that with, you know, nearly a quarter million people coming into the country every month, you're creating a crisis unlike any ever seen in the immigration sphere now there are a number of democrats that are coming out and at least showing concern about ending title 42 without something in place to kind of stem the 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 large number of individuals coming into the country but at the same time when i really look at what they're proposing it, it, it seems to be just your standard congressional, like we're putting on a show to pretend that we're concerned because they know what's coming in November. There's very little that actually holds the administration accountable, makes them actually 
use other forms of removal that are at their disposal or actually re-implementing the Remain in Mexico uh, process, which of course was uh, reinstated by a judge. But at this point, the administration has only put a few hundred illegal aliens into that program. So it's essentially still not being used. So I think it's good that even Democrats are starting to see the poll numbers. They're starting to see that the American people don't support the Biden administration on this topic. But at the same time, we got to continue to keep them accountable because at this point, they're just uh, they're just feigning concern and not really implementing real change. Folks, again, you're listening to the John DePedro show with us is Spencer Raleigh from FAIR Research Director. And, and Spencer, just to give people an idea, I mean, the amount of encounters, I believe, in the month of March, it's it's really frightening when you think about it. And what people also need to realize is, as you know, late spring, uh, May into June, and then summertime, That that's really, so to speak, like the busy peak travel season. So these two things combining, the fact that so many started coming over when just the fact that President Biden was in office, you, you could see unprecedented uh, demand of people just showing up at the border. And the frightening thing is here is it's the Biden administration policies that would there'd be nothing to prevent them from entering the country. Right. And that's I think that's the biggest concern, because even if we look at the past, when some of the apprehension numbers were nearly as high as they are now, uh, most of those individuals were apprehended they were either returned immediately or they were kept in uh you know processing facilities or given ntas in the rare cases that they were released in the country the biden administration policy once title 42 is ended is with the exception of a very small number i'm talking less than five percent of those that are entering the country illegally each month they will be released into the country undetained and you know this is still during a time period where the our uh, our economy is recovering from the COVID 19 pandemic there's still a lot of restrictions and you know individuals are still re-entering the workforce it's going to be a major hit to our economy with illegal alien with criminal illegal aliens i mean being allowed to be apprehended or deported there's a certain element of you know criminality that we have to be concerned about as well and of course we just you know saw the news stories of more than a dozen uh individuals crossing the border were app or uh apprehended with ties to terrorism so all of these are things that should concern during the American people, we should be using our honorable members of the Border Patrol to allow them to do their job and apprehend and remove these individuals uh, from the border. And of course, that has to be coupled with removing the incentives for illegal immigration in the first part, in the first place. And the Biden administration is just not doing that. They're adding more. They want more illegal immigration in the United States. And, and Spencer, what are some of the things that fear would advocate for that will play in with some of those in Congress? Well, well, the first thing that really needs to happen, because we saw it implemented, we know it works, is the Remain in Mexico program needs to be fully re-implemented, as well as the agreements with third countries in the Northern Triangle. Essentially, those that are wanting to come to the United States claiming asylum, they should be seeking that in the first safe country. They should not be asylum shopping their way to their preferred location. Individual And, and the, again, those individuals should be required in many instances, especially when we are are pretty sure that their asylum claims are bogus, as most are, more than 90%, they should be required to stay in Mexico. Because when that was required under the Trump administration, it 
it, it kept individuals from being incentivized to filing bogus claims, knowing they'd be released in the country. And more importantly, that allowed us to focus on the asylum applications that we knew were probably valid. We're talking individuals that are coming from, you know, war-torn countries, even Ukraine, areas like that. What The, the individuals that really end up hurting uh, in the middle of all this are those that we actually need to be helping. So that, that's the first thing that really needs to happen. And like I mentioned, we need to cut off some of the magnets for illegal immigration, you know, whether that's seriously entertaining, uh, implementing a mandatory form of E-Verify where workers or employers have to verify that whoever they're hiring is uh, lawfully permitted to work in the United States. And of course, also just allowing ICE to do their job, to apprehend those that are in the country without authorization, process them and ultimately remove them. Folks, again, we're speaking with Spencer Riley. And, and Spencer, what so far, before I let you go, uh, any hint of what the Biden administration may may do on this? Because th- this will garner, I mean, you're talking about an unpopular president, and it, it already is garnering a lot of attention. He, they they have to react to rescinding Title 42. Well, at this point, we just saw a budget proposal for DHS that was released recently. And essentially what they are asking for, it, it, on the surface, it looked good. But, of course, we know there is an ulterior motive because we saw hiring more Border Patrol agents, you know, putting up cameras and border security methods. But when we actually looked at the line by line, these weren't individuals to apprehend and remove illegal aliens. These were individuals whose jobs are to act as kind of a welcoming committee. They encounter these illegal aliens, process them into the country, and, you know, just try to get them through that process as fast as possible. Because what the Biden administration doesn't want are pictures of kids in cages like we saw all over the last few years. It's not that they're trying to keep those individuals from coming in the first place. They just want to process them as fast as possible. They want to continue this kind of fundamental restructuring of American society. And yeah, it's not it's not resounding with the American public, but this really seems like a hill that the Biden administration is willing to die on, just continuing to encourage more illegal immigration in the United States. And instead of trying to deter it, just processing those individuals in as fast as possible. Folks, again, it is Spencer Riley. Of the- Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. Joining us right now, he has a new book out in Trump time. It is Peter Navarro. Peter, first of all, congratulations on the book. Uh, Take us through the process that you decided to write this book in the first place. I think it goes back to the very beginning. Uh, I I was only one of three senior White House officials who was with the president all the way from the campaign in 2016, where I served as his uh, chief economic advisor, all the way to the end of what we like to say, uh, the end of his first term. And what was interesting is early in 2017, when I came into the White House, I was shocked. I don't get shocked easily, but I was shocked by how many people inside the perimeter, inside the White House, inside the administration, were actually actively disloyal to the president and his agenda, who disobeyed the chain of command. I thought at that point, you know what, I'm going to be part of history in some small or large way. Um, so I better keep a daily journal. And that's what I did every night when I came home, no matter how tired I was, I wrote down on what, the, what happened that day. And the In Trump Time book, uh, the In Trump Time means as quickly as possible exp- expression I coined. The In Trump Time book describes the last year 
uh, of the administration during during the plague year. And um, I think the beauty of the book is it finally provides an insider's account. It offers the truth of what actually happened and the, the gulf between what people have read about in the in the fake news and the corporate media versus the actual re- reality about the president himself, about the evil Tony Fauci, about the betrayal of the president by the vice president, Mike Pence, about what communist China actually did to us in terms of attacking America with a virus, and about what happened on both November 3rd and November 6th. Uh, that's what the interim time book really is about. It's a book, I think, of both revelations, but also indictments. And um, today, uh, I'm honored to be on your show, because today is the day the book actually officially uh, publishes. Folks, again, we're speaking with Peter Navarro, his new book, In Trump Time, Journal of Americans Plague Year. Peter, you write about your uh, first encounter with with Dr. Fauci. What can you tell us about that? Chapter two of In Trump Time, let's take you right into the iconic situation room. It's January 28th, 2020. We're at the the dawn of the pandemic. There's really only three people in the White House who are taking this pandemic seriously at this point. It's the president, myself, and the National Security Advisor, Robert O'Brien. And the president has dispatched me on a very, very important mission, which is to go to the sit room and convince the White House Coronavirus Task Force, Mason at the time, to support the ban on travel from China. This would turn out to be one of the most prescient and courageous decisions of the president, it would save millions of lives. But at that point, the, the, he had a lot of opposition. So he sends me, I'm the tip of the spear, I'm this tough guy. I go in, the staff's down at the end of the table, he's chairing the meeting. I got one of, I, I love Mike Pompeo, but the people who worked for him were, were just a lot of hacks. And I had one of his hacks by my left shoulder. Across the way, the uh, the Orville Redenbacher doppelganger and Robert Redfield, the CDC head, uh, just one of the most bumbling bureaucrats I've ever met. And you had Azar there, right? So I knew I was going to have problems with the four of these guys. But across from me, there's this little guy little round glasses, didn't know he walked on water, didn't know he was a saint. He was just a guy, right? And two minutes in, I'm in a violent argument with him. And he keeps insisting that, he keeps insisting that travel bans don't work. Like a parent, like, I'm going, dude. And I actually said to him, dude, it's like, uh, dude, it's like, you mean to tell me that if you got 20,000 Chinese nationals coming in a day, uh, many from Wuhan, many of them lit up like a Christmas tree with virus. That it, it's like, come on down, like let them in, right? No, 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 no. We're not doing that. <laughs> so the you know, the meeting erupted, it ended like in total chaos, um, with me fighting him and Mulvaney and everybody else. But but at the, at the end of the day, I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking he thinks he's smarter than he is, which is dangerous. But but I knew right then. I knew right then he was going to hurt both the nation and the president. But here's the interesting thing about that story uh, in the In Trump Time book. It's the lie, not the Congress, which which Fauci did, but was the lie of omission. Let me let me explain something that, that people need to understand in this country very clearly. At the by that point, early in the pandemic, Fauci already knew that he was culpable in the pandemic. 
what did we know right then? We knew that the, the virus came from Wuhan. We knew that the virus popped up within yards of a Wuhan bioweapons lab. We knew that Fauci funded that lab through grants. We knew that he authorized gain-of-function experiments at that lab, which, which were capable of turning harmless bat viruses into human killers. And here's the, here's the kicker. He received an email from a top scientist that very month that told him flat out this thing was genetically engineered. The lie of omission, the big lie of omission, Tony Fauci was not to tell me, the president, and the task force that that thing likely came from the lab. He never raised that issue. It cost millions of lives worldwide, hundreds of thousands of American lives. That man belongs in an orange jumpsuit, not as the <laughs> highest paid bureaucrat and plaque of the Biden administration. Folks, we're speaking with Peter Navarro, his book in Trump Time, a journal of America's plague. Peter, I want to tell you, I read a lot of books. I don't know if you realize how funny you are. I was literally laughing out loud <laughs> reading this book. And it sounds, you know, as I'm now talking to you, I can now I can picture your voice as I was reading it. I mean, folks, it is such like a straight from the hip. No BS. Um, Peter, I, I have to ask you, I mean, aren't you, are you surprised that nine months in the Biden administration is already, you know, completely, uh, the Titanic 71% feel he's on the wrong path. I mean, they've already lost their way. Not surprised at all. I, I predicted, uh, right after, uh, the, the transition of power, I guess you'd call it, that Biden would be gone uh, within a year or a year and a half. Uh, simply because it's it was obvious to everybody who wanted to look that this man had diminished mental capacity and that he invariably made bad decisions. I mean, that he was known for that in the, like within the Obama White House. And he surrounds himself with people who have no understanding whatsoever of how economies work. I mean, look, in, in Obama-Biden was eight years of, of massive federal debt economic stagnation and flat wages right they they they, they. so we come along you know i'm i'm out with with the boss we're campaigning on structural change in the economy tax cuts deregulation strategic energy dominance and fair trade that was our mantra we we put that in and we grow above the forecasts and real wages rise, particularly for black and brown Americans and blue-collar workers. I mean, and so Biden, Biden comes in and then goes, you know, reverts to the Biden incompetence mean. Doesn't surprise <laughs> me at all. And, and, and by the way, when I'm, 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 I'm so honored by what you say about when you read the book. Um, w- when I wrote the book, I actually dictate, I use voice dictation yeah. software, and I try to write for the ear rather than the eye it works so it works and and if you listen to the book what's fun about the audio book i i did the narration myself as you as you might expect they always like the author to do the narration but i also have some guest voices in there uh as part of it so it's more like a dramatic production oh wow steve steve bannon's in it oh boy davis hansen uh, the boss has a little cameo. Corey <laughs> Lewandowski absolutely steals the show. Wow. Uh, when he relates the story, I don't know if you remember the book, the story about him being on Air Force One with Dave Bossie. Yes. And how they're reading the riot act to Jared Kushner and, and campaign about not being ready for uh, for the steal that's about to come. 
Uh, so he narrates that whole thing. So it's 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 kind of a for folks who prefer like the audio books, uh, this one I think you'll find to be a, a little bit of cut above most of what uh, what you're going to get. But I, the, for me, the book submission. I mean, my mission is to take Fauci down. This is the Fauci fire. <laughs> that guy's got to go. I'm sorry. He is he is a murderer. I make a case. Uh, you don't believe me. By the time you get to the end of it, I'll give you double your money back. Uh, we got to hold China accountable, and, and we really do get, have to get to the bottom of what happened on November 3rd and January 6th. This is going to be the first audio book that I'm going to buy, and I hope my family's not listening because you're all getting copies of the book. Folks, it is in Trump time, Journal of America's Plague of Peter Navarro. Peter, I mean it. I'm going to have you back. A pleasure to talk to you. Congratulations. I, this is the best book of 2021. Hilarious. Oh, I'm so flattered so, by that. All right, Peter. Congratulations. Bye-bye. You're listening to the John DePietro Show, AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Joining us right now, what a fantastic new book. Folks, he was Chief of Staff to President Trump. Great book, The Chief's Chief. We want to welcome to the program. It is the great Mark Meadows. Mark, it's John DePietro. First of all, congratulations on a tremendous read. Well, thanks, John, and it's great to be with you and all the listeners. And thank you for always speaking it. Uh, like it is telling the truth and bringing it to your listeners uh, with uh, no political correctness. It's it's great to join you, and it was an honor to serve the 45th president of the United States, and hopefully this, this book will be something that gives uh, your uh, listeners kind of a behind-the-scenes look at what went on. Mark, I am so glad you wrote this book because finally we get more of an accurate depiction of exactly what was going on, starting with, and even though it's playing out now, but the, just your thought on the fact that what has come out recently regarding you know, the Russian collusion and the whole thing, it, it's really, I think that'll go down as one of the darkest moments in American journalism. Well, without a doubt. And, and it's interesting, John, that you, you highlight that because I talk about that in the book. And, and there's one one particular uh, 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 chapter called The Long Con. And it is a long con because the Democrats and many of the people in the swamp, they knew how, how bad it was from a standpoint of, of just uh, the fact that it was Hillary Clinton and many of her operatives that were actually colluding with Russia – and it was not indeed uh, any anything that the president uh, actually uh, did. And so, so when we we look at that, I think the the real key is is not only coming out, but there's more to come. John, your your listeners will hear it here first. I'm here to tell you more connections to Hillary Clinton. And as John Durham digs deeper, we'll see that not only was President Trump right that they spied on him, but it was a collusion and a dark day in American history where the Hillary Clinton campaign tried to accuse Donald Trump of what they were actually guilty of. Folks, we speak with Mark Meadows. He was President Trump's chief of staff. Fantastic new book. By the way, this makes for a great Christmas gift for everyone that's listening. The chief's chief. Mark, I like how in the book you write and, and you know, people are seeing now how difficult it can be. But your March 2020, how quickly everything had to pivot it is remarkable how yourself and President Trump took America through the pandemic. 
Well, you're very kind to give me even a little bit of credit, but it's actually President Trump that did all of that, John. I can tell you, yeah, I was, uh, I didn't get much sleep. Uh, the president never sleeps. He, he will call at, at all hours of the, the morning and night and, uh, and to give you a to-do list, it seems like uh, he's the vigilant sentinel that is there. But really when, uh, when uh, the, the virus came from China and, and started to affect everybody in uh, the United States and around the globe, uh, he saw it as his mission to make sure that we got government out of the way and that we got real solutions there. And in spite of what the left-wing media wanted to do is to, to blame him for everything, and they did almost 96% of the time, uh, it, was, it was really quick decisions that he made to save our economy, to save lives, and ultimately uh, to fight back against the swamp that was trying to undo his presidency uh, each and every day. Folks, again, we're speaking with Mark Meadows, President Trump, Chief of Staff, his fantastic new book, which makes a great holiday gift, The Chief's Chief. Mark, if you could also just take us through, I like also that you you talk about, despite all the hurdles, how President Trump, your administration, would keep your eye on the prize. It's incredible how this administration, how fast things have just unraveled. What incredible discipline by yourself and President Trump. Well, you're very kind. I, I can tell you uh, this, that uh, because the president uh, believed that America should be placed as the highest priority, it wasn't just a, a campaign slogan. It was a way of life for him. Uh, in the, the, the epilogue, the final, uh, final chapter of the book, uh, I, I, it, I basically spell out a conversation that, that President Trump and I uh, had uh, just a, a few months ago now, uh, and and he said, Mark, can you imagine that it would have gotten this bad this quick? And I said, no, sir, I couldn't. He says, you know, he says, all Joe Biden had to do was was literally nothing because we had, you know, we had a secure border. We actually had a real plan to bring people out of Afghanistan that wouldn't have put 13 service members in harm's way. And, and so we, we, I put that in that final chapter because uh, so much of what we've seen happen uh, literally were, were things that we had and discussed in the Oval Office that, that bluntly there needs to be some accountability and so we we cover that and uh and keeping your eye on the ball the president keeping his eye on the ball uh was was not only a a priority for him but it was a morning noon and night uh vigilant kind of uh of way that he he did business every day Mark, can you also touch on, I mean, you weren't new to Washington, you were a congressman. Can you touch on the fact that during the course of, of the day, and, you know, there's so much to be accomplished, but just the amount of, and, and now people ridicule it, but just false news, fake news, false information that would get out, that it can, at the same time, as much as it's, it's you know, so reckless the way it's reported, it's still something that gets out there and has to be addressed. Well, it has to be addressed, and and uh, and and I and I talk about that in the chief's chief. I didn't believe in fake news uh, until I got to the White House. I, I knew that that there was, you know, the president kept talking about 
fake news. And I was on Capitol Hill, and you're you're right. And I would know that even the Capitol Hill reporters, they had a left bent. They had uh, the way that they would put it out there. But they didn't try to make things up. When I got to the White House, I, it's, it's not only that they made it up. It didn't have a basis in reality. And they would have uh, – you know, two or three unnamed sources giving them, quote, the facts. And uh, I can remember one one particular story. I'm talking to the reporter. I said, uh, that's just not accurate. And and I'm willing to go on the record to tell you that it's not accurate. They said, well, we've got good sources. I said, well, you couldn't have good sources because the only other person that was in the meeting is actually sitting here in the room while I'm talking to you. And they didn't talk to you. I mean, but they just make these things up. But you had to address them. And the president, uh, Trump, was we he did what we call chopper talk. Always willing to go talk to the press. It kept him sharp. But boy, you know, it was killer questions each and every day and it was uh, having to address rumors that very often were just made up by a water cooler can you also just expand on that a little bit just because i i really enjoyed reading that folks again it's mark meadows his new book chief of the chief's chief the uh the chopper talk how did that come about because now when we're looking at a president he can't they cannot cannot do that president trump walking the rope line cameras on him Boom, pointing at the reporter, you know, boom, like pop quiz, what do you have? That is not, that is not easy to do. How did that come about? I like how you uh, talk about that and write about that in the book. Well, you know, it's interesting uh, when we talk about that in the book, uh, the chopper talk. Uh, some days there were days when, as his chief of staff, I said, you know, today, you know, sir, this is not a good news cycle. I don't know that you want to go and take uh, take on the reporters. And he would he would look out and he'd say, yeah, there's Jim Acosta from CNN. There's this person. There's that person. He says, I think it's a perfect day to take them on. And so he'd go out and uh, and literally be ready to, you know, the, the rotors on the helicopter on Marine One would be uh, going, it would be on one idle. And he'd go in and he says, all right, well, go ahead. And But he was not afraid of them. You know, yeah. what we have now is a Joe Biden who gets a list of uh, hopefully the softball reporters that are going to ask these nice, you know, what flavor of ice cream. Meadows, his fantastic new book, The Chief's Chief. Mark, one more thing. I just think you captured president trump really th that's the thing that i took away the most there are times i was laughing out loud you really captured him very well the dynamic between the two of you uh i'm just curious uh, any type of feedback from the president regarding the book you know the the president uh you know it was interesting when uh when i first said i was going to write it, he says well i'm going to like it sir well i said well as long as i can tell the truth and let the american people see who you really are and there are parts of it you know the 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 personality part of it uh where he doesn't like uh people to actually see that that nice uh, compassionate side of him that i but we do we do laugh we have a, a lot of fun i can remember one time uh, uh, that you know, we I was so mad about a leak. I said, "Sir, uh, I, I went in. I said, uh, Sir, th there was only four of us in this room, and now we've got the press is calling me about it, and I'm going to fire two people." And he looked at me and he goes, "Mark, I don't know that I'd do that. It may have been me." <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and so uh, uh, 
uh, you know, he's one that will always uh, find the humor in things. He and I were able to to have a, a friendship. Uh, you know, obviously it was a supportive role to the, what I consider the best president our country has ever had. And uh, and yet with that, we get to talk still on a daily basis. So he, he enjoys it. He's uh, he's encouraging people to go out and buy it. So hopefully it'll make a good Christmas gift for uh, those who appreciate the 45th president of the United States. Absolutely. Folks, again, the book, The Chief's Chief, Mark Meadows. Mark, really f- fantastic job with the book. It's a pleasure to speak with you, and we'll talk to you again sometime. Sounds great. Thanks, John. Take care. Portion of the program brought to you by the Coesit Inn. Check them out on the website, depetro.com, the Coesit Inn, or Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Located 226 Coesit Avenue in West Warwick, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge, whether a nice dinner or even just appetizers, there's always a great crowd. You can link directly to them, and gift certificates are available. The Coesit Inn, 226 Coesit Avenue in West Warwick. You're listening to The John DePietro Show on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Folks, remember, you can always listen online at our website, dipetro.com. Check out the website, dipetro.com. We have original, unique, exclusive stories, videos, content, all our links to social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. It's all right there, and that's also the best way to reach me. Log on at the website, depetro.com, dipetro.com into brood awakenings and discover the brood difference two locations in johnston also in cranston pontiac avenue and then also bald hill road in warwick brood awakenings their local fresh ingredients cozy environment great comfortable chairs delicious breakfast sandwiches lunch great drinks and coffee and plenty room to spread out and meet people i'll see you and you'll discover the brood difference at brood awakenings Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2 p.m. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. Joining me right now, one of my siblings. She is an independent columnist, opinion maker. She has worked in government on Capitol Hill. She has worked in media, radio, television. Also, obviously, a columnist with newspaper. It is uh, the one and only Donna Perry. And DJ, I want to start off. You know, you've been a press secretary for a a congressman sitting on Mm -hmm. Capitol Hill. And Jen Jen Psaki, the the level that she's going at now, I mean, it was was bad enough with this whole business that she's announced she's going to MSNBC. And I'm not surprised that people at uh, MSNBC are not happy about that or NBC News. But this latest now where she's doing an interview and to me trying to almost endear herself to the political left and mm-hmm. the name calling and taking shots at Peter Ducey, the White House correspondent of Fox. It, it just I don't recall anything like this. You know, Sean Spicer went through a lot when he had that job and so did Sarah Huckabee Sanders. But this is um, it goes beyond unprofessional. It, it just it's veering off into this is not part of the job description. I, I'm just wondering where this is going. Yes, and and good to be with you, John. Um, You know, you might say it's a good thing she's leaving because the job has clearly gotten under her skin and it really shows. That's my first take on all this. Um, I I just think her 
um, behavior toward someone who is a credentialed, appropriate, hardworking, qualified member of the White House press corps, which is Peter Ducey of Fox News, and her very personal, uh, sarcastic, you know, just very insulting rapport with him, John, is, is really, you're right, is not something I can recall ever seeing. And we've certainly had, you know, Democrat administrations. Now, they certainly were beyond the press was so hostile um, back in the other administration to Kayleigh McEnany. But, you know, you're the president's face and voice when you're at that podium. And I think it's beneath that podium for her to act that way. Um, You're right. And she's at a day and age where she's using a lot of multimedia. Yep to uh, certainly intentionally, by the way, we know that, John, she, she kind of whips up the Twitter crowd, which we know is one-sided. And, you know, so she has this back and forth, but for her to, you know, I think it was very, uh, you know, try to embarrass him in front of the rest of the press corps, something to the effect, this was last week where all this started about saying, well, your network supplies you with questions. I realize that and you're, you know, they're misleading questions and you're supposed to, you know, throw those out uh, at these press briefings. First of all, he is so qualified. He yes. is he is bright. Um, by the way, he's doing what everyone in that room was used to do and is supposed to do. That's called journalism. That's right. There, that is the White House of the United States. This is not softball. You're supposed to be in. You know, we have so many things at stake. There's a war going on. Um, there's a lot of questions about their lack of leadership. There's just a million things. You, anyone in that room should be doing what Peter Ducey does every day. So I think what her demeanor to him, she's like playing to this base crowd. Um, I think, John, it's very beneath the job. It's inappropriate. And why, I will, will say this too, why is she allowed yes. to, to do this like weird uh, you know, one-sided podcast thing that's already like an opinion show. Right. She's allowed to do Good that. Point. I can't recall another no. press secretary ever did that. Um, and she is still at the podium. And, it, you know, NBC, which should be theirs, to my view, they have correspondents been there a long time. Um, and some of these people, to me, John, they should be embarrassed. She's like yeah. joining your network. I mean, that's right. You know, this is like a circus act, and and she plays to him or plays against Peter Ducey. She, you know, you can keep doing that. I I think what is really at work here, they are sinking, and she knows it. She's a public yep. relations person. She That's knows, right. and I, I'll okay. And I've said this before. I'll give her that. She's paid to do the spin she does. That is what right. the job is. Yes. But there's there's spin, and then there's lying, and then there's you are insulting a person who has every right to be in that room. I think it's beneath the job. It is. That and way. not only that, and again, folks, so speaking with Donna Perry, <clears throat> you know, Peter Ducey doesn't bring it up, but listen, you know, if they wanted to, Fox News, they're not kind of ahead of MSNBC. Right. They're they're like... You could add the two numbers together and they still don't. Fox is a dominant right. news organization. He's By the White far. House correspondent. As far as this business of your network supplies, I, I've sat in COVID briefings, whether it was Raimundo, whatever, and the news director at Channel 10 or Channel 12 are sending questions over to their person. I mean, it's not that uncommon, never mind if it's in real time or someone says, hey, you know, follow up with this. Or think of when sometimes 
we we see someone you know they have wolf blitzers in their ear and then they're somewhere and they're even kind of giving them at questions can you ask of course this or that so to do that in a in a demeaning way when she knows as as you know it's it's very common that that goes on in the business and sometimes they may come across something in real time it's it's not easy being there there's a lot going on you may not have heard an answer or a question so to pivot that way but just finally on this i also donna Perry, i think we're also playing out you know would she be doing this if if he were a person of color if he were absolutely trained, if he were it just seems of course not he's fox he's a white male his dad's yep. on fox and friends it just seems that she feels this person's fair game. Therefore, I'm going to, you know, fan the flame with the crowd. And I'm just going to, you know, there's nothing I can do to prevent him from being in the White House press briefings. But I'm going to make it very clear just, you know, what a, how I, I frown upon. And th- right. And John, again, it is beneath the job. It is. You know, she's acting the way it once they're in the campaign, slugging it out. Right. Yes. If you were. Biden's campaign press secretary, you know, 24, 20 months ago, that's that's one thing to go after reporters and they really go back and forth. Um, As you've pointed out, and that's exactly right. News is breaking in this day and age. They're in there. It's a very tough job. News is breaking all day long. There was news breaking while they did the briefing, I I believe, you know, just today. And she couldn't answer a lot of some real important stuff. So that made the point. News is breaking constantly. If anyone doesn't think, for instance, CNN's Caitlin Collins would not was not sitting there in briefings when they were so antagonistic to Trump. And as That's if right. her, her producers were texting her constantly, yep. John, they're like, oh, this just broke. Oh, and, you know, yeah. if someone's going to get in trouble. Trump had this thing. They, they that's how it's done in this, you know, multimedia universe. These people are. As you know, John, and you've been down there, you've seen that. I know a little bit about it. They're like out on the lawn. They have to go through a lot of security, by the way, to even do a job like that. You're constantly going through the, you know, the metal detectors. You're in and out of that building. They're out on the lawn. They're doing live shots. Stuff is breaking. Of course, they're all in touch with the producers or in their ear. Right. You know, it's just part of doing that job. And like I said, whether it's Caitlin Collins or all these other people, they, they have producers texting them while they're mm. in the briefing. Yeah, I guarantee, in real time. Right, multiple times through the hour, hour and a half. So, Folks, we're going yeah. to take a quick break. A lot more Donna Perry right here on the John DePietro Show. <laughs> 